You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral. secrets hidden in God's word uh, concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is our objective tonight. So let us go uh, to our background where we had it last week, and let's begin with Acts chapter 2. We began with the day of Pentecost last week. I want us to go right to that foundational um, text, Acts chapter 2, and we are going to actually begin with verses 15 through 17. This is where most of our documentation for what we are teaching you tonight is going to be derived from. So as we see it, um, we're going to look at the this is that message. Say it with me. This is that. Say it with me. This is that. We should all know those words, okay, especially if we're moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And especially if we're being built into a foundation of the supernatural, we should know that theme, this is that. Say it with me. This is that. Why am I bringing this to your attention, this is that? Because this is that was one of the first books written on the works of the Holy Spirit by Amy Semple McPherson, one of the greatest women of God of the last century. All right? So we're looking at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 18. And Peter is standing up on the day of Pentecost to the 120 who spoke in other tongues, and this is what he says. For these are not drunk with wine, as you suppose, seeing it is the third hour of the day. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, but uh, the, the Bible says, it shall come to pass, saith God, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions, which is a form of prophecy. Say this with me. Visions are a form of prophecy. Your old men, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I am ready tonight 
to be filled with the Spirit and to understand various forms of prophecy in the Word of God so that they will be fully operative in my life for the glory of God. Okay? So here we see, beloved saints, the Bible says this prophecy, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions and your young men shall dream dreams. Last line, extremely important in verse 18. And the Bible says, and upon my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out of my spirit. Last line, and they shall prophesy. Say it with me. They shall prophesy. All right. So we are looking at the actual thesis that Peter brought to not only the 120, but to the men of Judea. And we are going to see the word prophecy used twice in his sermon. We don't get his whole sermon. His entire sermon is not given to us. Excerpts of his sermon on the day of Pentecost are given to us. The most important parts of the sermon are recorded in Scripture. And the first thing we need to know as we move into the supernatural, as we move into the things that we don't understand with our natural mind, as we move into the deep things of God, we must be able to back everything with scripture. And this is exactly what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. He said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So I want you to know now that if your experience or what you feel the Holy Spirit is giving to you cannot be backed up with scripture, it is not of God. Okay, so the Lord wants you to know visions are of God. Dreams are of God. All right, so we need to understand this. So let's look and make an analysis of verses 15 through 17, which is actually going to be the foundation for our teaching message tonight. So we see here that he is saying, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. All right? And then we see the word prophesy again at the end of verse 18. It says, and they shall prophesy. All right? But we're going to see something very unusual here. We are going to see that they shall see visions and they shall dream dreams. And he is actually quoting another portion of scripture. When he is teaching us that what occurred on the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, he is also drenching it in another text. And we will find this beautifully because we find it in Numbers chapter 12. Let us look at it just for a moment. Numbers chapter 12 is what Peter is quoting. So he is explaining this experience on the day of Pentecost as being an experience of submerging into the supernatural for the purpose of prophesying, okay, for the purpose of becoming God's prophetic people, for the purpose of understanding that the submerging in the spirit, the drenching in the spirit is going to have prophetic manifestations in your life. 
and two of those manifestations are going to be listed or already listed here in Acts, and they're going to be emphasized because he's quoting Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. Let us look at this. Numbers 12, verse 6 says, he said, hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you. I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. Now, this is exactly what occurred on the day of Pentecost. Peter stood up and said, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Literally using the word prophesy in line one of Acts 2, 17. And then we see again at the end of Acts 2, 18 in the last line of the verse, they shall prophesy. So we are seeing here in Acts chapter 2 that there are various forms of prophecy that may not include the words, thus saith the Lord. Put your hands up right now and say, Lord God, I want every form of prophecy released into my life by the power of the Holy Spirit as evidence that I have been submerged in the supernatural through the power of the Holy Ghost. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, so various forms of prophecy may not include the words, thus saith the Lord. As a matter of fact, some forms of prophecy may not involve utterance at all. All right, and we are going to see it. We have limited the Holy Spirit to prophecy in the church being only an utterance that comes forth from the lips, and we are extremely um, unsensitive in the area, I'm making this general statement, because we, we don't have understanding as to how the realm of the Spirit works. But we're going to clear that up by the grace of God, learning every day, always being taught every day of our life by the Holy Spirit for deeper experiences. Put your hands up right now if you want a deeper experience. Say this with me, Holy Spirit. I want a deeper experience. I want to learn things I've never learned before. I want to be open to the realm of the Holy Spirit because this is what you created me to do. You created me to understand the supernatural. I have been engineered by the hand of God to walk in the Spirit. Now give God praise and give God glory. All right, beloved. So here we see um, a, a brief synopsis of what we went over last week, and we understand we came to the conclusion last week that prophecy is not limited to the words, thus saith the Lord, that there are various forms of prophecy, that dreams are a form of prophecy, visions are a form of prophecy. Actually, this uh, occurred in the upper room. We saw in the upper room that cloven tongues like as of fire sat upon each of them and parted and sat upon each of them. This was a vision. Every 
single person in the upper room was having. So we need to know that visions are a part of the spirit-filled believer's life. It is not for a few. It is not for a chosen few. God wants you to start trusting him, to, to trust him that what he's showing you in the realm of the spirit is as real as the chair you are sitting on. More real. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, so we need to understand that realm and we need to begin to start trusting. Now, I want you to understand this um, from a hermeneutical standpoint. It is extremely important theologically, okay, theologically to understand that the upper room experience set the baptism in the Holy Spirit set the pace for the entire book of Acts. So this means every miraculous manifestation that we see in the book of Acts is a result of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Put your hands up right now and say, Father God, stir up the gift of God in me that where I'm walking in the Spirit and what I'm doing is going to be a result of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Can I give, can we give God the praise and give God the glory? So if you are not baptized in the Holy Ghost after the service, I'm going to spend some time with you and not only me, some of the elders, some of the leaders, and you will be baptized in the Spirit by the time we leave here tonight. All right? We know this because it is God's will. I want us now to go for a moment to the gospel according to Mark so that we can understand some unbelievable, glorious, supernatural truths that are hidden here in the word of God um, in the gospel according to Mark. Let us look at Mark chapter 16, and we're going to actually begin with verse 15. In Mark chapter 16, we are going to see a power promise um, and an additional record. Say this with me, an additional record. Okay, this is what's so awesome about the Gospels, and this is what is so awesome about God's Word. Because when we see a certain, um, a, a certain event taking place, what one writer does not include, another writer will include perhaps some facts that the other writer did not include. This is extremely important for under, us to understand how the Holy Ghost works. Okay, this is called plenary inspiration. Say with me, plenary inspiration. Plenary inspiration is extremely important for us to understand because all scripture is inspired of God and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction in righteousness so that we might be able to be instructed in the things of God. We need to understand that when we study God's word, we are not studying a newspaper or an encyclopedia. And when we are reading something historic, it has personal prophetic value to it to direct our lives. However, when we understand plenary inspiration, this is a form of God-breathed inspiration, it teaches us how the Holy Ghost came on men of old who wrote the scriptures, but they did not go into a trance when they wrote the scriptures. Okay, it's extremely important that we understand the Holy Spirit does not create robots, okay? This is something we're going to learn in the seminar on how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. He has to 
have something to work with. Touch your neighbor and say, he doesn't remove my personality. Okay? But I have to give him something to work with. All right, now let me just say something. You will be involved in the process of the supernatural. Okay, but the question of this equation is how much of you is actually involved? Okay, the part of you that is carnal cannot be involved. Okay, because the Holy Ghost cannot bless carnality. As a matter of fact, the thing that's going to quench the supernatural in your life is not the devil. The devil is not at war against the Holy Ghost. The devil's already been defeated, all right? And those of us, though we're in a battle, we're in a battle victorious, and he's under our feet. But in the realm of the spirit, your enemy is not the devil. In the realm of the spirit, your enemy is the flesh. For the flesh warreth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5.17 says, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And what is the flesh? The flesh is the carnal mind. That means reasonings, trying to figure it out. All right, trying to say this doesn't make sense, this doesn't go along with my tradition, this doesn't go along with the way that I'm used to doing things, this seems a little outlandish, this may not be the way I'm used to, this may not be the people I believe God is calling me to, this may not be, uh, maybe God's going to use somebody that doesn't look like you think they should be used of God. Get ready for surprises, okay? Get ready for surprises because the natural man, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. So what is going to war against the Spirit? The carnal mind. The mind that reasons. This, was, this is what Jesus had to constantly correct his disciples about. Every time he was speaking to them in the Spirit, they reasoned it out. Because reasoning in the natural mind is going to stop the anointing in your life. So we need to settle it now that we're going to listen to the Holy Ghost, that we're not going to reason it out, but at the same time, we're going to put our flesh under subjection of the Holy Spirit. This seems like kind of almost a contradiction. How can we put our flesh under, the whole, under subjection when he really needs to use us as a vessel? All right? So we step out of the way but we have to give him something to work with. So we're going to know that if we're in it for vain purposes, or we're in it to be seen of men, or we're in it to get our name in lights, or we're in it for any kind of earthly reward, or any of our motive is not agape, not the agape love of God. If there is a word that we're saying and we go up to somebody and give them a word from the Lord because we're angry at them, so we start condemning them through our prophecy, this is not God. Okay, this is not God at all. We're going to learn how to flow decently and in order. The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And if the spirit of God gives us time tonight, we will go over that in the Greek language so that we will know what, what this actually means, okay? So 
God is going to give us, move upon us. This means when scripture was written, this plenary inspiration, he didn't make John a robot and take away John's character traits and take away his, um, his certain style. No, he breathed into John when he wrote the gospel and his personality and his style was used in it. Now, that doesn't mean that when we're used of God, we're going to be all flamboyant and be seen of men and have our own little whatever. But what it does mean is that the Holy Spirit created you with your own little ways. All right? And I want you to know he loves those little ways as long as they're not carnal and as long as they're not selfish. As long as the vessel is yielded, surrendered, submitted, not wanting to be seen of men. That's the first thing we're going to learn when we start operating in the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want to be seen. I want Jesus seen. I don't want to be heard. I want Jesus heard. Hello, somebody. I don't want my way. I want Jesus to have his way. Okay, we're going to put the flesh under subjection, and God is going to use you mightily in this hour. Can I get a witness somewhere? This is what he says, all right? This is what the Bible says. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Why did we get off on this thing of plenary inspiration? Because Mark is going to add some, um, some lines, some concepts, some truths to the ascension of our Lord that we don't get in the book of Acts. Right before Jesus went to heaven... We get in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus said, but wait in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem, and, and wait for the promise of the Father that you have heard of me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And the Bible tells us in the very next verse, after Jesus said, you will receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in verse 9, the Bible says, and he was received up into heaven into a cloud, and he was received out of their sight. Now, in Mark, we get an additional, an additional commentary, if you will. In Mark, we get additional instruction that we did not get when we saw the same ascension story in the book of, in the, in the, in the um, book of Acts. The book of Acts is not including what we get here in Mark. So this means, in order to understand the full counsel of God, say with me, the full counsel of God, because we don't pick over here and take a scripture and make a doctrine out of it, and we don't pick over there and get a scripture and make a doctrine out of it. We want the whole counsel of God. Say it with me, the whole counsel of God. Okay, so... In understanding this, Mark adds something tremendous here. And this is what is going to follow in the life of every believer. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Here we see in the scripture, the Bible says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. He said in verse 15, Go ye into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall 
shall be condemned. Okay, so here we are seeing in Mark 16, verse uh, 15 and verse 16 particularly, that he that believeth is actually saved. So this is not speaking about he that believeth in the sense of the gift of faith, which is wonder-working faith. He is not talking here about the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given in 1 Corinthians 12. He is speaking about faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Bible is telling us, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall, is, shall be condemned. Okay, so we know this form of belief that he is speaking about is not about uh, the gift of faith. It is about faith to believe God. So this means what is going to follow this promise to every believer that he's going to speak about when he says these signs shall follow them that believe. The believer is not a person just that works, moves out in wonder working faith. That is a gift of the Spirit given as the Spirit as there is a need. But when he is speaking about the believer, he is speaking about every baptized Christian, every Christian who has become born again by the Spirit of God, every Christian who has received life anew, who has experienced a conversion and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, these are the signs that are going to follow them that believe. And this is what he says. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Let me explain to you what that means. They shall speak with new tongues. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 28 that one of the signs of the Messiah is that there was going to be a people who are given new tongues. The Bible says with a stammering lips and a, a new tongue will I begin to move in these people. All right, every gift of the Holy Spirit that we have in the New Testament was also operative in the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament. The only one we don't have is tongues. We even have interpretation of tongues. Daniel interpreted the writing on the wall. All right, so we have a form of interpretation of tongues, a type and a shadow. But the speaking in other tongues and the speaking in unknown tongues, which are two different gifts, Speaking in other tongues is one gift. Speaking in unknown tongues is another gift. Okay? These gifts of tongues were not given in the Old Testament. They are specifically reserved for the New Testament church and a sign to those who have been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay? So he says, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. We also see the new tongues given to us in Zephaniah chapter 3, which we will not look at at this moment. Zephaniah chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 28, the prophecies about the generation that the Messiah will touch will speak in tongues. All right? They will speak in new tongues. They shall take up serpents. 
and they shall, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They lay, shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So every believer has the right to speak in unknown to speak in new tongues. Every believer should receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Every believer will take up serpents and they will not hurt them. They will drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt them. That doesn't mean that we go out and drink poison. But that does mean that if you are if, if you are attacked in some way, some type of a venomous creature comes against you, you will receive supernatural immunity to demonic power. Say this with me, supernatural immunity to demonic power. That's why you need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Put your hands up right now and say, I need supernatural immunity to demonic power. And in the name of Jesus, tonight I receive the anointing, the disposition, the faith, and the desire to speak in other tongues and to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. All right. Now, beloved, in order to understand where we're going, touch your neighbor and say, we need to learn how to change our appetite. Okay, right now, the Holy Spirit is serving gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we might have a diet that's based on bread only, but now he's changing your diet. Okay, when somebody wants to get really healthy, what do they do? They change their diet. Okay, right now, the Holy Ghost is, is applying some powerful concepts to the church. And he wants the church to change our diet because the diet of selfie needs to be put under subjection of the spirit. And now we need to move into the supernatural. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So I'm not saying anything wrong with a selfie or two. But when it's 25,000 selfies a year, we have a problem. Okay, and that's the average for every person that's addicted to selfies. Okay, there is a problem with a society that is addicted to taking pictures of oneself constantly all day. We have a problem here. Okay, I'm sorry if it's not culturally correct, but we're going to set the record straight tonight. Okay, let's get things in balance. There's nothing wrong with taking your picture and showing your friends and your family, everybody wants to share. Okay, we want to have uh, an environment where we all love one another and it just shows how thirsty this world is and how even thirsty Christians are just for fellowship and acceptance. Okay, but we don't have to be addicted to selfies all day. Let us begin to walk in the spirit and let us begin to have our mind on the hurting and realize what our assignment from God is and realize where God is going to send us. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? All right, beloved. All right. So let's go to first Corinthians chapter 12. All right. Let's go to first Corinthians chapter 12 and we're going to look at verse one. All right. The Bible says here, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. All right? This word ignorant is the word 
agnoio, okay, agnoio. Where we get the word agnostic, okay, agnoio means not to be acquainted with. Paul is saying now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you agnoio. In other words, I don't want you not to be acquainted with the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, I want you to be acquainted with how they flow. That's what Paul is saying. I want you to be acquainted with how they work. And I want you to be acquainted. Now, this word, agnoio, in the Greek culture and in the Greek language was used um, to hear about something, but not to be aware to be fully aware. So it means you can know somebody by name. Like, there might be a lot of people you've heard of them, or even relatives. I heard of my grandma, but I've never seen her. Or I've heard of my Uncle Tom, but I never met him. Or I heard of my Aunt Bertha, but I never met her either. Or I heard of, you know, this person or that person, but I don't know them. I never met them, okay? This is a word, agnoio, meaning I don't know them, but I've heard of them. We've heard of the gifts of the Spirit, but we don't know them. Okay, the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, I want you to know. I want you to be educated. I want you to know about the supernatural realm and not to be ignorant. Okay, now here we go. Tonight, we're going to speak about the word of wisdom. Here we see, let's look at verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another is given by the Spirit the word of knowledge, or to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Okay, I'm going to share these two words with you in Greek. The word of wisdom is logos sophia. Okay, this is really important. Say it with me, logos sophia. Okay, notice I found it very strange that it wasn't Rhema Sophia. It's not Rhema Sophia. It's Logos Sophia, which makes a huge difference. Rhema Sophia is something spoken. Rhema is the spoken word. The equivalent of Rhema in Greek is, in Hebrew, the word Davar, a spoken word. Okay, but this is not Rhema Sophia. It's not a spoken word of wisdom, okay? although you may speak. But the, the function of it is not speech. The way it operates is logos. The word logos in the Greek is something that comes from the mind. It comes from the thought. It comes from the interior, okay? So word of wisdom, first thing we're going to have to know is that it comes from within. It is a type of perceptiveness that comes through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It is pneumatic, and this is why our own self, our own flesh, has to be under subjection. Now, let me tell you something. The gifts of the Spirit do not just operate singularly. We need to understand that when we flow in the gifts, one action of the Spirit could involve three gifts. I can be operating in prophecy, and in that prophecy could be a word of knowledge, and in that prophecy can also be a word of wisdom. So we need to know that um, various gifts are given 
for one operation, okay? So I can be operating in the gift of healing, not my, not my gift, but the Holy Ghost gift. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to receive a gift of healing, and in that gift of healing, there may be the operation of faith at the same time. There may be the operation of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, all right? So tonight, various forms of prophecy are not only visions, not only dreams, but word of wisdom is also a form of prophecy. Can I get a witness somewhere? God wants his people to begin to start operating in word of wisdom. You don't have to just say, God, pray for me to have the word of wisdom. Somebody lay hands on me for me to get it. It's already in you. You just need it stirred up if you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because all the gifts are resident in you. So when a, a minister lays hands on you, they're stirring up the gift of God that you've already received. Because when you receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost, you receive all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay. So Logosophia is different than the word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is Logokonosis. Say it with me. Logos Konosis. So we have Logos Sophia and Logos Konosis. Okay? Uh, today, so that we might understand, we might say, how does the word of wisdom operate in my life? And how do I activate the gift of the Holy Spirit that already dwells within me if I speak in unknown tongues or I speak in another tongue and I've been baptized in the Spirit, how do I operate in the word of knowledge? I want you to understand something. Much of the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in your life will not be in the public assembly. Many of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that operate in your life operate on a daily basis in your daily life. All right? We need to understand they are not reserved only for the public assembly. As a matter of fact, for myself, word of wisdom operates probably more than any other gift that I know of that the Holy Ghost gives to us as a ministry. It's a witness of the Spirit that happens. And we know when the Holy Spirit's saying no, and we know when the Holy Spirit is saying go. This is a certain gift that operates in prayer. Okay? Without prayer, it doesn't operate. Prayer is the fuel behind the fire of the gifts. Say this with me. Prayer is the fuel behind the power operating in the gifts. Okay? This is a special gift of protection. Word of wisdom is a protection. Now, what's the difference between word of wisdom and word of knowledge? Word of knowledge is a now, a now situation, a very now situation that you need insight for. Word of wisdom is for something that is happening maybe a few hours down the line, a few days down the line, a few weeks down the line that you need to get the will of God on. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay, so... We are understanding that the gifts are not limited to the public assembly, um, although they are given to every man severally as he will, and they are to be used in the public assembly. However, 
They are to operate daily in your daily life. When you get up, when you eat your breakfast, when you go to work, when you drive your car, when you go to the office, they're to be in constant operation in the life of every believer. We cannot limit the Holy Spirit only to the church assembly. Do we only worship in church? Don't we worship at home? Do we only talk about Jesus in church? Don't we talk about Jesus at home? Don't we think about Jesus only in church? Don't we also think about Jesus at home? It's the same thing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They operate in our families, in our homes, in our workplace, everywhere we go. Okay, isn't it great that the Holy Spirit's such a great helper? He's going to help us out because we need a lot of help. All right? All right. So, word of wisdom is focused on the future. Word of knowledge operates in the now. All right? And uh, I believe that the Holy Ghost wants to bring a full impartation here tonight so that word of wisdom and word of knowledge are going to be fully operating in your life. And you know why they operate at home so much? Because that's where the Holy Ghost trains you. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm not really trained at church. I'm trained at home. Okay, that's the training ground. Okay, this is where he wants to begin to start operating in your life, at your home, in your desk, with your family. And you know how that operates? Doesn't, it doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to sit here at the table and start prophesying to all my kids. Well, that could be. That is awesome. And that could be. But it's more like, Holy Spirit, what freeway do you want me to take today? And are you sure? He may just give you a little vision. Take that freeway. He said, well, I never took that route before, but I'm just going to trust the Lord and follow that little vision I had in my mind this morning to take the other freeway. And sure enough, when you get to work, you found out there was a major accident on the freeway you thought you were, gonna, you were usually taking. So what's he doing? He's training you to depend on him. He's training you to lean on him. He's training you how to flow. He's training you not to trust yourself. He's training you to trust his voice. He's training you to lean on him for everything. Okay? Holy Spirit, I just ask you today, you may not get a big, huge witness, but Holy Spirit, am I supposed to have this conversation with this person today? Maybe it's a conversation you know is very important. And you get, boom, a big witness. And he's telling you, mm, you need to walk in that direction. This is the way, walk ye in it. Say it with me. This is the way, walk ye in it. Okay, so he's going to show you. This is where he trains us. He trains us with our families. He trains us at the breakfast table. He trains us when we're cooking. He trains us when we're driving. He trains us in our conversations with our friends, like, oh, you could start out with a little bit of gossip over here, negative words, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, you hear a, mm-mm-mm. You feel a nudge. You know what that is? That's the reins of the Holy Spirit saying, go in another direction. And because you're in 
training. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm in 24-7 boot camp with the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, but I'm still in boot camp. Okay, I've been in boot camp over 45 years with the Holy Ghost. And I plan on staying in boot camp, okay? I want him to train me to be a soldier, to know his voice, and to do whatever he asks me to do. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay? Now, I, I want you to know that the scripture shows us that as we read the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Paul did not just operate in the word of knowledge publicly. And he did not just operate in word of wisdom publicly. He operated in word of wisdom with all of his, all of his friends, with everybody he knew, everywhere he went. All the gifts of the Spirit are in full operation. Okay, so we're taking the church and the way we operate in church and the way we do things, we're going to just clear our mind and realize we are coming to church to be a blessing to somebody and not just to be blessed. We are coming to church to give a gift to someone, a prophecy, a psalm, a spiritual psalm, a word of encouragement, a prayer, an intercession. We're not here just to get something for ourselves. We're here to give something. Okay, with that mentality, we're always here. We're here to see somebody's need. We're here to get our mind off ourselves, get our mind on Jesus and our mind on one another. Hello, somebody, can I get a witness? Okay, when we have that culture present in the church, then what we've been trained at home by the Holy Ghost, the church is going to be the place where we're going to just come and minister God's love. We're just going to pour it out to one another. Can I get a witness somewhere? Do you understand what I'm talking about? All right. Let's look here at the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, 14. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Here we're going to see, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. Paul has been in 1 Corinthians 14 spending a tremendous amount of instruction to the church at Corinth, speaking about the difference between an unknown tongue and other tongues, which are actually a sign to the unbeliever. This is the type of tongue that was manifested on the day of Pentecost. It was not the personal prayer language. It was the gift of other tongues known to men on earth. Okay, this was the uh, other tongues. The Bible says they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But then we see in 1 Corinthians 14 a phenomena, it changes. It's no longer other tongues, it's unknown tongues. Okay, we have to understand something about the unknown tongue that is given. The unknown tongue is a prayer language. The unknown tongue is a perfect, perfect prayer language. This is why the Bible says in Zephaniah chapter 3 that I will speak to them in a, they shall speak in a pure language. And the last line of the verse says, and they shall be of one consent. Because there is something about speaking in not only other tongues, but in an unknown tongue. That is a personal prayer language that God wants to give to every believer. Okay? And it is so holy. The only way we can explain it is like this. All right? There are, uh, in the temple, there were many vessels. 
And there were some vessels that were used in the temple for just for common things, like scooping up ashes, some things that were used to just slaughter animals. These are vessels that are common. But then there were vessels in the temple that were used specifically only for God's worship, only for God's service. And they were designated by the type of instrument they were. All right, the Bible says in Romans to, to yield our members as instruments of righteousness. The better Hebrew concept of that would be as vessels of righteousness. That every portion of our body is like the vessels that were in the tabernacle and also in the temple to be used of God. Some things are common and they can be used for anything. Okay? Our language that we speak to one another is a common, something common. I will go to you, I will say, hello, how are you today? And even if I'm ministering, that is a higher level of being common, but it's common. Okay? But when I pray to God, this is exclusively for God. Now, if I pray with my tongue that I also use for common things, it's not solely God's. It doesn't just exclusively belong to him. And I use it, and I also use it for God. But when one receives an unknown tongue, the Bible says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue does not speak to men, but to God. That means this prayer language is a language that is exclusively from your spirit. The Bible says, if I speak in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. So that means your inward man, your spirit, is speaking to God in mysteries. That means you're praying secrets about yourself, secrets about your heart, your trials, your things that are only, it's only used for God. It's not used for man. It's not used for man's purposes. It is only used for God. And let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. How many of you would like to interpret your own tongues? You have not because you ask not. Okay, so God wants us to begin to move out and interpret the tongues. But as we look here, we're going to see that Paul used the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not just in the church and not just in ministry. Paul used the gifts of the Holy Spirit constantly in his own life. All right, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, looking at verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. This was something he used privately, something that he employed in his own home, something that he employed in the privacy of his own home. God wants the gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever you go. He wants the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation from the moment you get up. And even when you go to sleep, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to be in operation because your spirit doesn't sleep, but your body does. Hello, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm in communion upon my bed. The psalmist said, I will 
commune with my own heart upon my bed. So even when you're sleeping, your body might be sleeping away. But your spirit is stayed in communion before God, fellowshipping with the Lord while you're sleeping. And that's when dreams come in. Okay? That's when he begins to flood you with messages of the night to direct your life. And the more we learn to depend on the supernatural, the more we are going to come into the will of God. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? I know this might be new to some of us. All right. Let's look just for a moment so we can understand this phenomena of being used of the Holy Spirit and being used of God, going for a moment in the word of the living God. We're going over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we are looking at verse 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, Not with words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. What does it mean? Not with words, words of wisdom. We're talking about word of wisdom. Not with the word that man's wisdom teacheth, but the word that the Holy Ghost teacheth. Okay, a probably a more articulate way of saying it would be not as man instructs, but as the Holy Ghost instructs, because he instructs us all day if you have a relationship with him. See, if you are in communion with the Holy Spirit, and it's not just something that you experience in church when you come, waiting to just fall out, but you just love the Holy Spirit and don't ever want to grieve him, you're in communion with him all day, more than anyone else. You're talking to him, okay? And he's going to instruct you in everything you do. So he's going to teach you from the very beginning how to get a witness of the Spirit. Okay, the witness of the Spirit operates different in me than it does for you. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is true. So every person here has to learn how is the Spirit witnessing in my heart when he's telling you yes and when he's telling you no. When he's telling you proceed, and when he's telling you halt, when he's telling you go forward and you know this is the direction you need to go into because you felt the anointing and it's not your emotions, how do you know? How are you, cons how do you know it's the Holy Ghost? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9 verse 1, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That's why it's so important. You can't possibly function in the realm of the spirit if you don't have a healthy conscience. It's impossible. Okay? If you don't have a conscience and you're, you're just operating in the realm of self and mind. So anything that comes into your mind, you think it's the Holy Ghost. And that's where the war goes on. Okay? So a healthy conscience. The Bible says, let us love one another fervently out of a pure heart. The Bible says the end of the commandment is a pure conscience and faith unfeigned. So we have to learn how to develop our conscience. 
If we don't have conscience skills, if you want to be led by the Spirit and walk in the supernatural, start developing conscience skills. And that can only happen through a prayer life. Okay? Prayer life is part of the balanced Christian life. If there's no devotional prayer life, you're not going to be walking in power. You have to have time alone with God every day. And you have to have conscience skills. And once he develops those conscience skills, and you know that voice of the Holy Ghost that's in that conscience, because that's where his voice dwells. His voice dwells in the conscience. He'll say, now look at the way that you just spoke to Maria. She's very sensitive today. Can you go back and just rephrase that sentence? And you could say, I don't think she was that. Reason it out. Just reason it out in your mind. She probably wasn't that sensitive. That's just me. You just quenched the Holy Ghost because you reasoned it out. Okay? Reasoning is going to stop the Holy Ghost. Reasoning and figuring it out and saying it doesn't make sense is going to stop the whole move of God in your midst. So that's why we need to stop the reasoning. Okay? So... We're going to be instructed in whatever we do. This is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 12, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that hour what you shall say. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, he will show you things to come. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, I want the word of wisdom. I want the logo Sophia to start operating in my life. Okay. So let us look at some examples in the Word of God of where Logo Sophia is operating. Let's go to Acts chapter 27. And we're going to look at Acts 27, verses 9 and 10. This is the account of Paul going on the ship with all of uh, some brethren that were going with him to Rome. And the ship was going to be shipwrecked. And the Bible tells us in Acts 27, verses 9 and 10, Now when much time was spent, and, was sa- and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already passed, Paul admonished them, saying, Sir, uh, I perceive that this voyage will be of much damage, and not only ladening of the ship, but also of our lives. Verse 12 says, And because... The haven was not commodious to winter in. And because, the Bible says, the more part advised to depart from thence. Nevertheless, the centurion, going back up to verse 11, and then we'll look at verse 12. It says, um, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than the things spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence. What does this mean? Paul received a word of wisdom. The word of wisdom was, notice that there's prophecy also operating in it. But the primary gift is wisdom. Okay? Prophecy is also in operation because it's forthtelling. But the word of wisdom is he has complete insight. This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding would be 
enlightened, that you might know the hope of your calling. The Bible tells us in Colossians, I want us to look at Colossians because Colossians is so important that we understand. Uh, let's look here just for a moment at Colossians. How many here want to be used of God with more of the gifts of the Spirit? Raise your hand. Okay, let's go to Colossians for a moment. And I want us to see Colossians chapter 3, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 says, verse 9, For this cause all we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It doesn't say that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and understanding. It says that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding means we understand the realm of the spirit. Spiritual understanding means we understand the things of God that we cannot see with our natural mind more than the things that we see in the carnal realm. So Paul is praying that you might be filled with all spiritual understanding in the knowledge of his will. Can I get a witness somewhere? You've got to pray. All right? So here we see Logo Sophia operating in the book of Acts through Paul, and they did not listen to Paul. Why? Because they reasoned it. They reasoned it out. They knew that it was not commodious for them to winter there. It was a little more advantageous to winter somewhere else. And as a result, for not listening to the word of wisdom, they came into a shipwreck. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, never let me reason the word of wisdom into something that is not esteemed highly. Say this with me. I want the anointing not to despise prophesying. Say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I don't want to quench the spirit. I do not want to despise prophesying. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit and everything that I do. Can we get a witness somewhere? Okay, so let me share with you a very great example of the word of wisdom. This goes back many years. It's not my example, but it's an example I heard. It was notice that the gifts of the Spirit are connected. So if, I, if, if one is operating in prophecy, at the same time one can also be operating in word of knowledge and in word of wisdom. There was a missionary. She had been a missionary in India for seven years. And she was very discouraged. She did not see much fruit coming forth from her mission. She'd been there seven years, been on an assignment, been very, very discouraged about the lack of response in India that she received. So she came home on furlough, and she already made the decision. I'm not going to go back to India. I'm going to be an evangelist. I'm just going to be an evangelist. I'm going to give up. My call as a missionary, because I'm not producing any fruit, I haven't seen any persons one to Christ, and the, the results are very minimal. 
So I don't want to waste my life over there in India. She was teaching in a Bible school on this little furlough, coming home from the missions. And as she was teaching, someone stood up. And they began to speak a prophecy in tongues. They waited. This was a very incredible group of people that knew when there's a prophecy in tongues, someone has the interpretation. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. But the interpretation didn't come out. Nobody interpreted those tongues. They waited and waited and waited. And the woman who was the missionary was so overwhelmed that she couldn't speak. She went to the front to the pulpit after the prophecy in tongues came out, and she said, I just returned from my village in India. There's no need for interpretation of tongues because that tongue was the dialect where I just came from. I know that dialect well. And the message that came said, you're not to stay here. You're to go back to India. And when you go back to India, I will give you souls for your hire. I will bless your work as you return. Thank you for joining us today. It is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you. If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.